0: hey my friend welcome to the tradie success podcast this episode is brought to you by the tradie success academy we're on a mission to help trade and construction business owners unlock time and financial freedom within as little as three years with the right processes and systems and support we're able to help people level up with less mistakes and have the motivation and support and guidance around systemization and process whether that comes to lead generation conversions on-site value delivery maximizing efficiency and profitability operations and administration or personal performance how to really maximize yourself as a business owner and unlock that growth in your own business now whether you're a sole trader or you've been in business for years and years we're here to support you no matter what size you are so look in the show notes we've got a link to an exclusive offer for the podcast Where you get 30 days free of the academy mastermind program on there you'll get access to online on-demand training videos access to live training every single week and access to an amazing trade community filled with all different types of trades supporting one another to unlock that growth potential click the link in the show notes and unlock your free trial now Welcome everyone to the uh, Tradies Success Podcast
1: here. Uh, Today we're gonna interview with Ian Wickworth. He's uh, a author of a book called Undisruptible. Uh, You guys can find this book on Amazon and Booktopia. And the book outlines how to set up a business and make it stand out so that you can attract the right audience, yeah, and be different to the competitors and attract the right type of of clients. he has got a a wonderful journey through business, and he's had a number of different business ventures, and uh, had to adapt to a lot of different changes and scenarios and external uh, forces that have been thrown his way. And it's a, it's a great uh, it's a great story of adaptability and uh, and the ability to navigate business with some form of of agility, which we'd like to sort of explore today. So welcome, Ian. I love be with you, Kurt. Awesome, good stuff. I might start like. Right back at the, at the start for, for you, Ian. Um, firstly, what was your first exploration? I guess if you rewind um, right back to your first little touch on business, like you've got a lot of ex- business experience now, but what was the catalyst right at the start that got you excited about business?
2: For me, I don't, what I love about business is just trying to understand how people think how uh how they think and how they behave, which are usually two completely different things. It's like this fascinating endless puzzle. It's like, uh, why did people spend money with this business and not that one? What's going on there? So uh I used to have an ad agency, so I spent a lot of time just uh talking to people who buy stuff, going, uh, hey, you said you were gonna buy that product and you didn't. Why is that? Um so that's that's fascinating. Uh I love uh the I love taking staff from being uh, eager young junior up to a uh, fully grown dead set business genius that's fascinating so many of them can do that if you treat them the right way uh, so you know I just I love the human experience basically
1: good stuff i'm a I'm a massive uh, fan of that consumer psychology as well I think it's a it's incredibly uh interesting and it's insightful to to unlock those mechanics behind why people purchase a particular product over another or what are those internal drivers and motivators? So I guess like with your experience in that space, what have you found to be like um, one of the more, uh, what, what am I looking for here? One of those drivers that's, that's easy to unlock or one of the, what, what would you go to first when trying to unlock a, a, psychological, a
2: psychological driver behind consumerism? Well, maybe if we start, uh, I guess in the in, in the tradie heartland, uh, when you're talking about to, uh, how people pick service businesses, you can't. Uh, you, the person providing that service, doesn't really understand how customers think because you're too close to it. You're like, oh my god, you know, I got the best tools and I do all, you know, I got the best vehicle and I have got the best logo on the van and whatever, um, as does everyone else but here's how people choose products they don't understand. So think, if you're a trader, think about a product you don't understand, like, say, your tax accountant or your dentist. Two-step process. First step, are they up to it? Do they seem up to it? Uh, So that's kind of, yeah, do they have the qualification? Are they a licensed provider of that thing they do? Do they have customers who say they can do it? And that's kind of good enough for step one. Now, the question is, are they, is that dentist or accountant a 70% good at their job person or 85% good at their job person? Here's the thing you don't know. You have no idea. That's why you're hiring them to do that because you don't know how to do it. So you then go to step two, which is basically, do I like them? And that's all it takes it's being liked it's going is this person seem to understand me and so it actually doesn't matter beyond a certain point what your technical skills are it's am I likable do I feel like uh, does the customer feel like I'm going to be pleasant to deal with am I going to get back to them quickly am I going to be uh, a pleasant experience and if you seem likable and that comes down to basic things like getting back to people on time um you know making yeah, Smiling at them, just doing basic things that some people can do well. It's like why are they getting all the business? It's just because they're likable and sometimes that's all it takes. Even if you're a, a high level barrister or some other super paid person, customers are still picking them because they seem likable.
1: Mm, that's a good it's a really great point because that's step one, that structural element of like can you actually deliver what the client wants? a lot of the market is going to satisfy step one. Like all of your competitors are going to have the qualification or the ability to produce the same outcome. Yeah. So like, can this bricklayer build the wall? Yes. So can 40 other competitors. They can all build the wall and get to the same outcome. But across that scope, there's there's varying levels of likability, I guess. So that's exactly where you're going. And so the person with the highest likability score
2: is going to attract the greatest audience. Largely. I mean you everyone looks at themselves really closely, their own business. They're like, Oh yeah, you know, this 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 looks great, you know, we uh everything about it looks great, view close up, and then you step back and look at all your competitors and all it's like looking at a penguin colony. Just thousands and thousands of people to the outside observer look exactly the same. Uh so it's the question of which penguin which penguin wanders over and sort of looks you in the eye and sort of waggles its little flippers, you go, That one looks likable. It's kind of that, but on a commercial scale. Love that analogy. So good to envisage. Like, like
1: everyone can picture that so vividly. So, um, and I guess that's where your um, where your book really comes in. You, you speak about how to be that penguin that stands out. How to be the person in the pack that people gravitate towards. So, um, without giving too much away of the secrets that are in the book, what what would be if you were to guide me to be you know, 5% more likable, what would be the, the tool that you'd get me to deploy to make me 5% more likable to the audience or appeal? Uh,
2: I'm going to go for more than 5%. Let me, uh, let's keep it simple. So we hire, uh, so our, our, my main business does the, uh, technical side of corporate events so we do the big sound lighting video systems that you see when people are doing a yeah you know, a big conference or a product launch or a big corporate party or whatever so it's really hard work it's late nights it's loading trucks at two in the morning it's high stress because you're setting up a show where you've only got one chance at it uh so it, it you got a lot of stress. out clients running around going it's 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 like it's like uh, it's like the imaginary trading world that you see on the block, where it's like, oh, we've got three hours to get this house finished. Our business is literally like that because yeah. the audience is coming in in the morning, so it's super hard and super stressful, and it can destroy you uh, if you're uh, not not tough, unfortunately. So we we take on, uh, obviously, like in most areas, a bit of a skill shortage. So we've been taking on large numbers of uh, junior trainees who we uh, pay to learn our our trade and we sort of been hiring them in groups of you know four or six people and uh a couple of them have stood out straight from the start and had the other crew around them going they are great we want them on our show we really like working alongside them even though they're inexperienced two basic things one is when they're talking to you they look you straight in the eye like yep eye contact because what that says is not just friendly but confident it sort of says i believe in who i am uh yeah, i i know that i'm going to be uh yeah operating on not on your level not i'm as good as you but it shows a level of confidence that is infectious uh and the other thing they do at the end uh when everyone's like going, God, we've got to get home. They say magic words. Is there anything else I can do? Surprising how <laughs> simple that is, yet so magical when most people are like, I just want to get out of here. Can I go now, please? Let's knock off. Uh, and it's and the yeah, most of the time there isn't something else I can do, but the fact that they ask makes them jump out and go um then go yeah so so that works for staff and that works for us you're working for clients um there's a at the end of the book there's a lot of um there's a there's a chapter called just 10 low-key steps of success because as a as a corporate roadie uh i i spent years sitting in the back of the room listening to every motivator in the book every high-flying uh top gun bloody fist pumping Uh, I'm not going to name names, you know who we're talking about, all the success people. And uh, I used to sit there and listen to them and go, you know, this feels good for about half an hour, but I don't think you've actually run a business ever in your life, have you? They're just saying general stuff and talking about this elite performance. And it's like, well, this elite athlete astronaut performance doesn't actually help me in my own regular day-to-day business um it's more basic stuff so i mean i'm not going to give away all the ten low key steps to success but basically pretty much number one uh turn up on time and tell people i do what you told people you were going to do just those things alone puts you ahead of 95 percent of other businesses and i recognize that say if you're in trade you got a lot of shit on and so you you can't always be there on time for everything but contacting your client and saying, I'm so sorry, something's gone over time on another project and so I've really had to deal with it, as I would if I was working on your project. I'm really sorry, I'm going to be late and let them know. If you let people know, generally they're fine. It's when you just don't turn up. And so for years, I uh, I, I sort of do speak talks on branding and stuff from my ad agency days and how to apply brand branding to SMEs. And the example I always use of great branding, because most corporations have, have these taglines that absolutely suck. They're like uh, enabling the tomorrows of our future or, or some shit. And just go, that's just bullshit. My, my guide to a good uh, sort of tagline or slogan is, will all your staff feel comfortable saying this out loud at a barbecue on the weekend? And if they don't, get a better one. Because they're not going to say t- that kind of that kind of cheesy generalist subjective blather. And I've always used the this uh, this youth in the beach where I uh, surf. This youth I sometimes see in the car park is a plumber, and the slogan is "We turn up," and I'm like, "Yes, <laughs> that that is genius." Because it gets to the heart of what clients fear, which is that they're not going to turn up. And if you just go, we're the turn up people, and you just repeat that message, clients will then say, yeah, they're the ones that turn up. It's like, yes, that's the one I want. So sometimes it's just really simple stuff rather than trying to be all corporate and you know wordy about it. It's just understanding what the client's worried about.
1: I think, yeah, you, what you've touched on there as well is like you can lead a lot on on cliches and it doesn't matter what industry you're in, every industry comes with cliches. And those cliches exist for a reason, just because for a very long period of time, the overwhelming customer experience was like that. So yeah. there's some really typical cliches in the tradie space around unreliability, turning up late, leaving a mess, all those sort of things where yeah. you can connect with a lot percentage of the audience when you speak against that cliche or speak into that and go, well, we understand that a lot of you guys have been let down before by people that don't turn up. So our number one mantra is we're just going to do what we say we're going to do and we're going to rock up when we say we're going to rock up. So I think that's it. Yeah. You can find a lot in those cliches. You don't have to spiral off into the creative stratosphere to think, think how does he, how do I come up with a creative angle here? You can, you can learn a lot out of like, what are those... Cliches that the general population already have about your particular industry or service.
2: Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, uh, as you say, it is a cliche, and it's kind of out of date because yeah, most tradies I've dealt with they have been perfectly competent and pleasant and nice to female customers and all the other stuff. And also, I've got to say, uh, the other thing about tradies is that they are all over. Their SEO and SEM uh, data more so than my than corporate clients I've worked with. They're like, what number did I uh, come up in the search? And I'm like, number five. And it's like, god damn it! What keyword were you searching on? <laughs> and I'm like, wow, impressed. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, but but that cliche does r- remain in people's minds. Yeah, I did it when I was doing uh, ads. I did um, I did a whole bunch of campaigns for a tire brand. And that was entirely based around their uh, realisation that the well, majority of tyres are actually bought by women and buying tyres at a retail level was a horrifying experience for women. It was, you know, just guys checking you, guys looking you up and down as you come in the store, uh, patronising, uh, yeah, look, uh, yeah, I don't want to go in and you details because, yeah, you're a woman, but uh, here's one you need. And, uh, and just a, a level of mansplaining shit that they did not want so we ended up spending most of the money that would have been on ads in the stores giving them clean bathrooms yeah and other stuff that is important and it, it worked really well for them and and yeah that was maybe 10 years ago and the whole the whole industry has moved a long way in that time based on recognizing that reality that yeah you can't uh, you can't well, keep operating like it's 1992 anymore.
1: I think that's a, that's such a, uh, a vital point there. You, you need to be able to like critically assess where are the, where are the friction points in the way in which your business does business with clients? Like what, what creates the, the most unease for your clients and you, I see this, this exists in so many different examples, but like anytime you're optimizing a business, if you have like ease of use at the forefront of your mind, I think you're going to be successful. Like you look at the, some of the great disruptors in the market, they all bring like high levels of ease of use. So I, I look, I look for the, look to the Uber example, for example, they, um, they use, uh, the, when they came to the market, they brought some significant points of difference from the taxi company, but they were all very much geared around making it easier to use Uber than the taxi company. And so the overall experience for the consumer became far more fluid and easier. And that allowed them to take such a large market share when they landed in the market, and that could be mapped across yeah. every industry. If you look at like, it's easier.
2: Yeah, totally. I mean, I I uh, I'm interested in the cab experience because I I uh, I literally owe everything to being a cabbie. I originally studied as a vet due to bad school career guidance, and uh, I uh, did three years of that, and they threw me out and justifiably so because I was a uh, obnoxious dickhead and uh, i ended up becoming a cab driver to pay the rent and i did that for uh, like five six weeks of like getting up at 3 a.m for the day shift and uh, i picked up this suit guy uh, in the city and uh, got talking and uh on 15 minute ride and he's like ah you seem like a uh, a bright young man would you be interested in a career in the corporate audio visual industry and i thought i have no idea what that is but it's got to be better than this bloody cab so i went sure so, uh, I, uh, yeah, got that job and that's literally the industry we're in today. So cheers cabs. But the thing about Uber is not only was it, uh, functionally easier. Um, and there's also, I'd, I'd recommend if you're, uh, anyone's interested in business should, uh, should, uh, read the book, uh, alchemy by a guy called Rory Sutherland, who uh, speaks about one of the major things about Uber is that the is the picture of the uh car coming to you on the map because uh if you're waiting for it if you're waiting for something and you don't know what's going on you're stressed whereas if you can if it's going to be whereas you can see it on the map you know where it is so there's no waiting stress so there's a lot of fun psychology stuff going on there but the other thing that uh i think uber had going for it was that the cab industry had systematically screwed the market for years like kind of like an organized crime racket like the the 10% surcharge on your credit card i'm sorry that's borderline crime so when uber came for them i'm like even though i'm an ex cabbie i'm like good get them uh, uh which is not the fault of individual cabbies it's the fault of the people that ran the cab industry but uh yeah it's it's fascinating how that uh changed i think one of the interesting things about go
1: Oh yeah, I was just gonna say like I think in the in the cab industry as well, it's a great example of like when you neglect, I think they neglected innovation. Like then they sort of built their structure and they like it works. We can all make money and we're protected. Where it's it, we're insulated here. It's safe. It's just gonna. We don't have to inv- We don't have to innovate. People just use the service for what it is. And the second you stop innovating, you leave yourself. Wide open for disruption, I feel, and that's uh, exactly what Uber identified as an industry that had very minimal innovation over a large period of time, and then they looked at like oh, right, we can bomb them out of the water here with a few power moves, and that's uh, effectively what what it went what went down. So I think it's a uh, it's a good little reminder to people that um, although business might be very hard at the start and then you might find some relative success or comfort after a few years once you engineer some systems and ways in which your business operates. That's not the time to get off the innovation gas and go, okay, sweet, now it's working. I think it's more around like, how do you remain focused on innovating and improving? Because the second you stop is the second that you leave yourself wide open to be be knocked off.
2: Yeah, totally. And you get bored too, you know? I mean, uh, I... Oh my god! I just I just love our I love I love our businesses so much. I mean, they they're quite it's it's quite a large business now. It's in all the capital cities, and uh, we've got a lot of staff and whatever. And uh, people are like, "When are you going to sell the business or float it?" Because it's a size where we could theoretically float it. And uh, my partner says, "You must never sell the businesses because she sees how happy I am." Thinking about the sort of stuff you're talking about and trying to make it better and just dealing with the people. And like, you can just hear in my voice that I just, I love it so much and I couldn't be without it. And if you can, if you can maintain that relationship with your business where it's just like you wake up each day going, Oh my God, this is so much fun. What are we going to do? Uh, that feeds through to your staff and they pick up on that and they do a better job. And it all just becomes a nice positive cycle. I uh I think a, a thing uh, in, in case we go for another tangent I think that's important for um businesses like like your listeners is uh what I discuss a lot in the book is how to have a brand not because having a brand is cool but because having a brand increases your margin to a massive degree long term because mm, what brands do? A lot of people think brands are there to make you look cool, like you know Red Bull or whatever. But what brands are actually there for is reassurance, because customers are nervous and worry what's going to go wrong. And having a brand that people know is reassurance that it's going to be okay. And so if you do that, you it gets you out of that nightmare situation of always having to be the cheapest of six quotes. And I think that's what you have to be. As a business, if you are continually just feeling you have to beat five other quotes, that's a really grim way to lead your life. It's depressing. Your clients have no respect for you. You attract the worst customers uh, and you are better off getting to a position using the, brand, the same branding techniques that you know, I would have applied to an a insurance company or a appliance for them or the tire people, but to a small business where they go, we've heard of you. We don't, we don't expect you to be the cheapest. In fact, you can happily charge more and say, look, we charge more and here are the reasons why, and they'll go, we get that, that's worth it to us. We're not looking for the cheapest. So that stuff is really important, not just, well, but for for the the margins that you can then either keep or reinvest in your business, uh, and just feeling good about yourself and it has a whole bunch of positive benefits that just spin right through your business. Your working life, and frankly, your entire life.
1: Yeah, I think like the, the brand creates the longevity, the stability, in the pipeline of work. Because the more recognised your brand is, the the greater it becomes for consumer interaction. Like the easier it becomes for people to find you and uh, be aware that you exist. Like I talk a, a bit in our in our coaching programs around like the number one uh, roadblock. To someone buying your product is someone can't buy a product or a service if they don't know you exist. It's like fundamentally impossible to buy something that you don't know exists. So um when looking at marketing your product or your or your brand or your service, the brand awareness space um is a long it's a long term game, but it's it's essential for every single client that comes past you in the future. If they don't know you exist, then your market you're not capitalizing or you're not growing your market and um i often ask people in your local community how many what percentage of people know that you exist and that's a really like um really cutting question there because a lot of people would probably say like one percent or less my so 99 percent of your local community can't buy your service or your product as a fundamental principle because they don't know you exist so how do you start to great create that awareness and um is that something that, that you sort of would guide people uh, or encourage people to explore as to how to get that wider reach and, and greater awareness in their
2: community? Uh, yeah, two really important words to use there. One is wider reach, not necessarily what you're after, uh, but in your community is really good. Um, a lot of people go, I need to be everything to everyone which is really expensive and super unproductive. So what you're better off doing the art of getting a brand going is to find something that no one else does and absolutely stand for that category and rule it. And like, obviously, you can't just go, I am the... Yeah, the the topic of glazier is kind of owned by a lot of people. But if you pick an area and go, I am going to be the glazier in this area who specializes in saltwater environments. That's springing to mind. because I'm looking through a window that's just absolutely crusty as because we've moved near the beach. But, but some really specific topic that's that's niche within that area and so you can concentrate. It's always more profitable to absolutely rule a small niche and people know you for that. And this is not rocket science. This shit's been uh, known since the yeah, craft guilds of the fifteenth century. But get a name for something. It doesn't have to be the actual thing you do. Uh, yeah, it could be just the way you respond. Uh, yeah, the the sort of clients you work with. Example, like so. Uh, we used to live in a, a Sydney suburb that's kind of leafy and has a lot of yeah, uh accountants and lawyers and. Corporate people in it, and uh, a, a mate who lived in that suburb had uh, was a sort of handy guy, but he'd been doing a corporate job for in the training space for for um for some sort of building firm, and he just hated his corporate life. He's like, I want to set up my own place. I want to become a like have my own small business. And basically, we we talked through it, and there was just this enormous shortage of handyman you could trust in that suburb and everyone's just going i got so much work to do it's all general stuff that i can't say can i get a a um you know uh, specialist, a I... chippy or a plumber or whatever. i know a specialist is not going to be interested in this but there's just infinite work of just general bits so we branded him as the suburb name handyman and built on the fact that people knew him in that area and we just took lots of photos of him being extra clean and nice and friendly and you know, taking his shoes off and being careful with people's homes. So I said, mate, your your objective is to be the person that people in your area will leave their the keys to their house with because they can trust you uh, because you're that local guy. And uh, the fringe benefit to him also is that before we had that chat, he was getting calls to come and quote in suburbs that were half an hour's drive away. I'm like, as you know, you can chew up most of your life in that unproductive fashion. So he now has a, a banging business just in that local area and customers who all absolutely uh, refer him to everyone. And he's just a key of that suburb because, and this is kind of a bit dirty, is the reality of human nature is that they like someone from inside their own suburb because they can trust them, not someone from oh, another suburb. <laughs> it, uh, so it goes to sort of animal levels of trust and risk perception, whatever. So that's an example of how you just go, I'm going to take a small category and absolutely rule it, and he's just got more work than he can deal with and he's put stuff on and whatever. And I guess that's the other thing about having a brand is that part of the art of branding in this situation is that you have characteristics as a business founder you're responsive and you're keen and you're enthusiastic because if you're not and you don't earn any money so it's the, the trouble comes is when you start paying other people to do that and they're not quite as enthusiastic because yeah you know, that's just a reality the art the art of a brand in this category is to take the things that people like about you and apply them to other people so that you don't have to do all the things uh and part of this is sort of working out where you're at in life um you know uh and going what's what do i want to be doing in 10 years rather than just doing the same stuff like i know like i had in that agency and i used to look at, at uh you know 40 year old guys in me just go man they are terminally uncool why are they here kill me if i ever become that guy and uh, so, my current businesses uh, were my escape hatch. I managed to get out of advertising before I became uh, old guy in the room going, uh, "Is it I who is out of touch, or is it the children?" Uh, so, uh, so likewise, if you're in trades, do you want to be uh, doing hard physical labour all your life, or do you want to be the uh, wise, kindly, expert supervisor who has a whole bunch of? Uh, young enthusiastic people just like you who have the same characteristics as you did when you were that age that's what a brand does for you you can just get your way of doing things and your positive points applied to a much bigger thing than just you I think I see this
1: problem so often
2: as well like a lot of people
1: lack that long-term vision of like what it's going to look like in 10 years and like they often underestimate how far that's going to come up and um there's a there's a space in in business that, you know, it's very easy to drift, like in a comfort level. It's hard and in phases of business, very hard. And then once you get to that comfort level, it's very easy just to drift and you can lose years quite quickly. Yeah. And um, if you don't have that on what the 10-year like target is, then you could miss those opportunities to do that exact thing, like build a team of talented people to replace you in the field so that, yeah, when you're in your 40s, you're not you know, digging holes, crawling through roofs, crawling under houses, and and doing the hard stuff when you know when realistically your your body and your and your minds probably not there to to be able to put those sort of efforts in in the same sort of intensity. Yeah, totally. I think the other thing, like, just with your experience, Ian, as well, like with uh, you know, advertising, marketing, building brands, and things like that. Uh, you you just identified there that. Um, you put that sort of like lifespan on that on that role around relevancy I and mean, you didn't want to be that i love that phrase you use terminally uncool <laughs> um, person in the room and uh the the interesting thing there is is what enables that in that industry is i feel like you would you would have a greater insight into this it, it in advertising and marketing it moves so fast the scenery changes so quickly that if you're not at the front of the wave, you can very quickly get left behind. And I feel like um, that the speed of innovation and the speed of direction change that occurs in in marketing and advertising has to create a steel within you or or a skill set within you to be able to be very fluid and very dynamic in the way you you approach business. So I guess from like your experiences in such a rapidly changing um, environment, what do you think you... Developed either intentionally or unintentionally to create the skill set to be able to be a, you know fast at adapting and, and moving into opportunities or or shifting gears.
2: Uh, well, certainly there's the ability to withstand bad news, rejection, and last minute requests to work all weekend, uh, which uh, advertising offers in abundance. <laughs> um, I think for me, the best thing about advertising was learning about other people's businesses i used to love just going out to clients offices and their customers homes and just talking about what how they do things and what matters to them and you can learn so much from your clients it's just this university of knowledge and and every business is is the same um and so that interest that interest in other people's businesses or your interest in your customers uh has two massive benefits one is your customers love it because they're like oh someone that just didn't want to go on about themselves and how clever they are and what leading edge bloody services they offer but in fact just asked interested questions about us clients love that but also you learn so much you learn so much about what uh our clients behave so it's just invaluable training any business just talk to your customers and just, uh, yeah, learn learn from them. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a massive win. And
1: by asking those good questions, are you getting like early signals on what to do next? Like how you would change your approach? You might see some trends occurring in the way that the customers are giving you feedback around certain things or what they'd like to see in a service or a provider. And then you could be like, oh, well, this is starting to become more common. How do we... Shift our approach slightly to either capture or address that concern or, or that value that the client might have.
2: Yeah, yeah, that uh, that that's really important uh, because uh, as a, as an ex uh, creative director, people go, well, wow, these ideas are creative," and I'd be like, "Yeah, well, they're actually something we adapted that uh, someone else did in another business because all creativity is largely just sort uh, of all good ideas." are uh, so often just something from a completely different field transplants it into your field so what looks commonplace in another industry is genius when you bring it into your industry so yeah, again that awareness of what's going on as you spoke of Uber you go, a good question you ask yourself and you try a couple ideas is yes. yeah, how will you look to people you admire and yeah, what would they do for my business at this point? Yeah? How would how would uh yeah, how would the people at you yeah, know, businesses I like like I'd know I fly Virgin a lot, I find it to be really good. JB Hi Fi, I find it amazingly uh everyone on the floor at JB Hi Fi knows an enormous amount of stuff is really helpful. I don't know about how they do it. Um they sort of go, What would JB what would JB Hi Fi do here? What would Virgin do? What would Nespresso stores do? Because these are really good businesses. What would they do in this situation in my field? So that that's helpful. That was that worked really well for us um, as uh, facing employer nightmares, and and like one of the reasons I left because I had a really well-salaried job and I was really comfortable, and uh, yeah, it was leading a great life, and yeah, small kid and everything, and it's so, like yeah, I am. This is this is great, and I just thought, hang on a minute, I'm bored out of my mind uh, because I just knew everything that was going to happen when people would walk into my office. i could tell by the look on their face what question they were going to ask and what the answer was and so was comfortable yet just i'm going is this what my the rest of my life is going to be like and i realized i needed higher highs and lower lows you can't and that's what owning your own business that was when i set my own place up because you can't really enjoy the ultra highs unless you have the lows and so what that allows you to do is welcome the lows and the bad news because it's just part of the high highs and lower lows deal, and so we had a uh in uh January 2020 our business was I think twelve years old and we were about we had just absolute steady growth from uh yeah from the early days and we were now this was going to be 2020 was going to be the year where we we arrived to the point where this was as big as we ever expected the business to be like this was we were getting to the summit of Everest we had the flags ready we're like yeah here we go and then like two weeks later uh the first of the big events got cancelled and we're like uh oh we are about to go over Niagara Falls in a barrel and then uh all of the yeah events got made illegal on and off for about two years so we were carrying at that point 65 70 full-time staff uh nationally And it had taken us a decade to assemble this Avengers-style super team because it's really hard to find people who have the technical skills to do this stuff but also the personal skills to deal with a bank CEO who's about to do a presentation. So these are really hard people to find and we didn't sort of want to let them go. And so the thought process of how do we survive uh, and keep these people on board was uh, called for some really fast thinking. I can assure you, um, but it was it was a heavy a heavy time. No, I think that that that, that relate uh, that
1: uh, everyone experienced that same thing from their own lens as well. Like, um, hmm. it doesn't matter what sort of business you were in, there was a lot of uncertainty. Like, I I know that, you know from our perspective as trades business owners, we're like, well, what do you mean we can't go do work? <laughs> yeah, very very um, nervous and weird sort of space there. And, um, you know, unfortunately for most uh, trades businesses, once the the roadmap out of there was established, there was ways in which businesses could could survive and, and do well. Um, I know there are certain industries, you know, like the events industry that were crippled for a lot longer than, than a number of other sectors. So I think that's um, as a testament to be able to, you know, sidestep and, and create things fast. Yeah, the people that move slow in those environments suffer the most and the people that move fast and and have that decisive nature about their decisions typically did fair to fair bit better and um yeah i think that's a it, it, it's a testament to you know your ability to identify that this is a low and that uh, the low is the opportunity to grow and mm. the high is like is the reward from that and i think if you well okay what can we do different right now to to, to make it through and. It's not those it's those hard periods that actually offer the greatest opportunities a lot of the time
2: yeah yeah and what it does like i remember because i write a weekly blog apart from the book i write a weekly blog on business owner issues which is at then and uh we're quite open with our staff because all of us all of us used to do all of the owners of the business used to do the thing that all our staff do. So we sort of, uh, are sympathetic to how difficult it is. And when all that went down, we basically went around to all our offices and literally showed them, here's a screenshot of our bank account and said, look, this is how much money we have. We really value you and want to keep the team together. We are basically going to, we went to three days a week paying people, um, but we basically said, we're going to pay you on that for as long as we have money. We'll leave a little bit to mothball the business if we have to close it down, but we're going to devote all our resources personally. And this is a very large payroll at this point to keeping this team together. And they were like, thank you for being honest with us. Cause we know this is going to be pretty bad thank you for being honest and open with us about it um and as i wrote in the blog people are going to remember what you did over this next couple of weeks for the next 10 years and so before I believe this was before JobKeeper existed a lot of our competitors just threw all their staff overboard that week they just fired them all and i'm sitting there thinking those staff for those companies even if they get hired back Those staff are going to remember what you did back then in February, March 2020 for a long time. And if you ask them to go the extra mile in any way, they're going to go, yeah, I remember that time you threw me overboard as soon as you possibly could. So what we did was we um, recognized how much the Zoom experience sucks uh, sitting there looking at your people with their stupid bookshelf in the background and just go, realizing that if you're if you've got to have an important message from your ceo you need it to be a show like a tv show rather than a a man or woman in front of their bookshelf at home so we set up in our in our warehouses where the trucks would normally be loaded equipment we built tv studios like proper broadcast looking tv studios and got clients in to do their important zoom presentations but it looked like uh, a tv chat show and that was there's a lot of talk of pivots and it was like, wow, great pivot. It was it was great in that it allowed us just enough to stay alive. Like the owners we made zero out of the business for two years, but it allowed us to keep the team together. Plus that developed a lot of TV skills during that time. So uh it's nice to sort of be proved right that when it all ended last year was a gangbusters year for events, obviously, because people like, yes. Get out of the house, let's get some drinks, let's have events. And uh, suddenly it went from it went from nothing to absolute skill shortage and we still had all the staff who felt really good as a team because they'd made it through and increased their skills, whereas other companies were just trying to hire literally anyone to do a job interview for an enormous amount of money and yeah, it was pretty sketchy then. So we were getting all through last year, we were getting calls from people going hey we've not worked with you before but our existing supplier who we booked to do our event next week has just said they can't do it any chance <laughs> you can do it we're like <laughs> what what weird parallel universe have we entered into here but that is the long-term benefits you get from backing up your staff uh, and showing that not just saying you value them but proving that you value them and that that kind of stuff and this is one of the reasons i love um having your own business as an ex sort of marketing advertising person is when you're uh, if you're doing advertising for a client you are just doing ads or online campaigns or whatever and that's only a tiny little part of the experience and if that ad inspires someone to come into your store or call you up and ask for a quote and the person you send out has really bad tobacco breath and is kind of obnoxious and it's not for a great experience It doesn't matter how good the ad was your business still sucks so as a business owner it's great to be able to control the the mood of the staff and the what your vehicles look like and all the details of what equipment your staff use because that creates a hundred percent of the brand rather than just a small bit of it and that's really your brand isn't just ads or logos your brand is how clean your vehicles are your brand is uh you know what level of you know, tools your staff use for example this is another thing we find that's kind of relevant for trades is that we buy the most expensive equipment you can get uh even though our business is literally renting that equipment uh, because it gives our staff confidence other companies will go get oh, a yeah, higher roi on this cheaper version of it," and the clients can't tell the difference and we are like well that's correct but If our staff are going out using equipment for these high pressure events, they want to feel like when they push the go button, that shit's gonna work. And so they have confidence and they want to deal, they want to use the hundred thousand dollar machine, not the twenty-five thousand dollar machine. The extra cost is yeah, that's 75 grand extra, but the benefits long term to us of staff that go, I work at the best place. That helps me do the best job I can. Far outweigh the actual outlay cost of the tools, if they make sense. Yeah, I think if if you capture that as well. So, like at the ground
1: level, you've got confident staff that like what they do, that feel appreciated. All of that packaged up helps them become create a facade for the client that is really engaging, really what circle back to what we first spoke about, really likable. Staff that are happy, things like that—they're going to be likable people. And that was the, the when you're looking at how to attract those clients and retain those clients. Likability was that big key driver that we spoke about at the start of the podcast. So, you know, looking after your staff and equipping them well creates the right environment for them to be more likable. So that that then has this like a self-fulfilling funnel of work and client retention at the at the front.
2: Yeah, it's uh, if you, it, I guess. To, to sum it up, uh, uh, the, one of the things that just makes me so proud about our business uh, was we're doing the doing the rounds of Christmas parties last year. And so good to have Christmas parties. And uh, and talking to, we have all the full-time staff at the freelancers all lands Quite a number of freelancers who work for everyone have said, we, our company's called Scene Change, they're like, we love Scene Change days because your people are just nice to work with because they're happy working like they're just a uh, uh, people joking and having a laugh and serious about what they do and about making stuff happen but also just a, a happy vibe and people having each other's backs and the fact that freelancers like working with us kind of says it all for me because it makes me so proud of our staff uh of how they are when we're not looking at and that's how you judge the the health of your business is what are your staff like when you're not there and if you can create a business where that vibe is happy then your customers can tell that they will go they feel it even if they're not right there they can just feel that vibe and they'll just go you should get these people around to your house because they just did a good job and they were just really nice people and that's getting back to what we spoke about that's all of it really that is it yeah so it's a
1: great uh it's a great point to make, and well done at like holding this, retaining the staff, making them feel so valued, and and uh, and really having that that staff focus. Because at the end of the day, when you look at growing and scaling a business, the great success of business is all built off staff. If you're a sole trader, you have a limited capacity for financial and time success. Yeah, there's only so much yeah. you can do. The greater your team, the greater the cap- capability and the greater success that you can achieve. And then if you rewind to those early COVID moments for the guys that threw all their staff overboard, you know, not only did they go, did they sacrifice their, um, what they could potentially make in the future, but they also, in a way, you know, they, they reduced their own capacity right back to down to nothing. And the the great success of those businesses were built off these stuff without them. They wouldn't have the success that they have. And, um, and then they paid for that, I guess, in the future. And you were, you, you capitalized on that being the, the team that was able to stick together and and then have that market
2: share when it all opened up again yeah yeah i mean sometimes the business it just comes out you get a, your antenna go is this one of those moments of truth right now where the decision i make will like uh as russell crowe would say echo for all eternity but sometimes it is you know you've just gotta you gotta know when that thing is and go okay this is that spot do the right thing here don't go What's a cautious, mean thing to do? Just go. What's the right thing to do, and just do it. I love that. Love that. It's a good, uh, good focuser
1: so to run all your decisions through. At the end of the day, yeah, is this the, is this the right thing to do? I used to, I used to use a little, um, you know, principle around decision making. I used to have this goal of building a company that would last a hundred years. And is this the decision that helps the company last a hundred years, or is this the decision that eases the pain now? And sometimes those decisions, once you think long term, is this is this going to help someone who I'll never meet sit in the seat in the future and do a good job, or is this just helping me right now deal with a problem? And um, sometimes you've got to take the take a little bit of pain at that front end and and know that it's the right thing for the for the long term.
2: I I love your thinking there, Kirk, because in in uh, business inspo world. There's too much focus given to people who are trying to set stuff up, uh, particularly in the tech sector, set something up to flip it or float it, you know, sell it to to Meta or whatever. And I just think that's nasty. I, like I wrote a blog story uh, last year, sometime on uh, on this company that made me really happy. It was a uh, company that makes church bells, and they've been going since. Uh, fact check. It was like I'm pretty sure it was like the 1500s, and I'm just going. That, is, oh, that's right. It was the bell, the, the company that made the bell that ACDC toured for their Hell's Bells. Oh, to. It? Uh, and it's that they went, I went, we got to go to the, the people. And yeah, it's this company that have been doing it, doing it for like five centuries or something. And, uh, and I cannot love that anymore because it just, as you say, you're dedicated to providing something that is so good that it's just gonna last and i think personally customers can tell when you're building something to last versus when you're building something to just flog off because your success coach told you that building businesses and flipping them every three years is a good way to go it's it's a thing but it's not it's not my vibe no not my vibe either yeah i'm all about that that
1: longevity i want to try and build something now that someone else will sit here and be able to you know, sit in and drive and the things that I sort of help build now will still work in a hundred years, hopefully with a little bit of tweaking. Um, I just wanted to to wrap this out. Uh, Ian, I'd just love to talk about how you got into writing a blog and then, um, how that blog ended up transitioning into the, the book you've written. Uh, yeah,
2: I, um, I wrote a book, uh, as a result of a bet with my mate Rob in the pub. Uh, and it's like, it was like one of those, uh, old stories where, where two mustachioed gadabouts challenge each other to a hot air balloon race around the world. It's like, I challenge you to write a book, sir. And he's like, yeah, he's English. He's like, yes, done. And, uh, so, uh, so we both wrote a book and, uh, I, uh, I thought, uh, all right, let's get this published. And, uh, one of the main publishers went, uh, holy shit. I love this this is like uh like a genuine comedy book yet also really useful uh business tips and then they went hang on a minute you need to be famous because uh, uh new uh it's really hard to get new non-fiction writers established you have to be like uh yeah old May barefoot or uh mark manson or whatever so I thought, yeah so you know i gotta uh i gotta uh yeah become famous so i started blogging uh and just writing about business stuff because for me there's a lot of people, all the success, um, all the success people, they just don't talk to me as a business owner with the specific details that I would find helpful. Like the stuff about and in my book I go into such as branding, there's stuff about, you know, do you need lawyers, uh, yeah, cash flow, pricing, managing stuff, managing stuff, you know, need in a state office where you're not there, all those sort of micro details. And like all These books are business books are normally like be more like Steve Jobs. It's like, well, Steve Jobs is not relevant to me. Steve Jobs is like had the world's best designers and billions of dollars. Uh, what about me? Uh, yeah, low key, small business person. So, 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 um, so I started blogging about that, uh, and it, uh, yeah, it got good, uh, it got reasonable attention, uh, and uh, it wasn't till COVID when uh, I started like blogging about literally the near-death experience of our business and what we were going through and what other people might consider doing. And that was when uh, Penguin came knocking and said, uh, hey, have you ever thought about writing a book? And I'm like, well, I, here's one I prepared earlier, um, which we then obviously uh, rewrote uh, a lot. But, uh, but, yeah, so that was that was a blast. I mean, lines I just do it just because, um, yeah, there's so many mistakes that you see, hands-on business people making and none of it's so hard like it's it's a lot of it is just basics that if you tick those basics off you've got 90 percent of it covered a lot of success talk is about the two percent it's about lean six sigma and neuro linguistic programming you know whatever those things are and so well that's a tiny thing but what about you know as i said what about just getting back to your customers when you said you would if you don't do that, all the neuro linguistic programming in the world isn't gonna mean shit to those clients. So uh, so uh let's uh let's keep it real. So yeah, it was uh yeah, it was cool. I had a really good uh, I mean, unfortunately it came out in the uh week of the second lockdown starting in twenty twenty one, which uh, shut down all the stores. But there's some really good responses. Yeah, people like uh Sally Foster Blake, who I rate both as a uh Super successful business person and a book writer, uh, gave a really good grave. Um, so I said a lot of, a lot of good, uh, good, uh, vibes out of it.
1: Love it. Good stuff. I think as well, like, um, I imagine, um, I'm just, I could be jumping to conclusions here, but you writing the blog also will help you to mentally solidify the thoughts and feelings that you have around business by spending the time to actually, how do you put what I feel and what I think into words that it really solidifies the logic sequence behind a lot of principles that you, that you might know intrinsically, but you haven't, it's not until you really formulate it into words that you start to go, well, that's why it makes sense now. And I think, does that give you a lot of clarity once you write a blog about something as well?
2: It, it totally does. It totally, I mean, writing is, is hard, like getting out, putting out a blog every week, like a thousand words while running businesses is, uh, is, is a fair bit of work but writing is thinking if you can come up with an idea that you feel strongly enough to write about that's kind of important and so our staff read the blog our our clients read the blog and it's it's really good as a sort of uh self-selecting client thing because you know, some of the stuff in the blog is pretty outspoken uh and we don't care because we own our own business and we can do what the hell we like and so customers Part of the, UR uh, spoke before about not appealing to everyone. It's kind of good to find people who plan who will dislike you and who you don't want to work with because that makes you more appealing to the people like you. So by the time a client has read the blog, uh, they will have a clear idea of what we stand for. And they'll either go, yeah, they're not for me uh, or these people are exactly the right people for us. Uh, and they really stand out from all the other ones. and uh, and that's great. yeah, one of the joys in business is finding customers that are really well good a good fit for you and your staff. That just makes it much easier for everyone. and and the blog really kind of uh, helps that. Um, yeah, and it just it keeps you interested. yeah you know, you sort of I'm always when I'm spending money with suppliers or shops or whatever, I'm always interested in that experience to so know as an outsider what was that experience like? What can I learn from that for my own business and to you know, for other people's businesses writing about it in the blog. Yeah, I would I wrote like a couple of weeks ago I wrote a story about uh the reason I buy I've been I've been dressing like shit for two because COVID, you know, and you're in hoodies and stuff. But there's this shirt store I go to which has quite expensive shirts, but people come up to you and just random strangers come up to you and probably go I love that shirt that's a great shirt and I'm like why thank you glad you noticed and uh and the reason I go to this store <laughs> I like that feeling yeah it's great. Right. it's a it it's it's a lovely feeling gotta say it's not just you know it's not just shallow vanity it's nice to have you know random uh random people go that's a great